0: Stay tuned for additional important disclosure information at the end of this episode.
1: Direct indexing, no longer an exclusive tool of the big account investor, it's rapidly working its way down the food chain. Now, those with more modest sums to invest are able to enjoy it too. But just because you can doesn't mean you should. And if you're an advisor, should you offer it and recommend it to your clients? Hello and welcome. Once again, to Simple But Not Easy, the podcast of Morningstar Investment Management. I'm Philip Strail, Global Head of Research, and the answer to these questions just asked is the same as the one I would give you to many important questions. It depends. Now, you look to us for better answers than that, so we've assembled a panel of experts to give you information to help you decide for yourself. Today's episode is taken from a previous webinar featuring Cindy Galliano, our Head of Product, Peter Dietrich, Head of Wealth for indexes with Morningstar Inc. and Sheila Battenwar, Global Head of Retail and Wealth ESG Strategy and Strategic Partnerships for Sustainalytics. The discussion is moderated by Jonathan Lindstra, Managing Director of Americas, and the panel covers topics such as the way personalization at scale can help advisors grow their business, how direct indexing can help with optimizing after-tax returns, and how advisors can use personalization to help match ESG preferences with investments, creating stickier relationships along the way. It's a timely topic, and we
2: think you'll find it worth your while. Here's Jonathan. Welcome everyone, and thank you for joining us today for our Morningstar Investment Management webinar: Three Ways to Help Solve Unique Client Challenges with Direct Indexing. My name is Jonathan Lindstrom, I'm the Managing Director of America's for Morningstar Investment Management. We have a fantastic session for you today with leaders from throughout the Morningstar family here to share their insights around this trending investment topic, direct indexing. Today's session, we will discuss key areas around direct indexing that are driving the majority of interest from advisors and investors alike at all levels of sophistication. Our discussion will focus on personalization and the potential to achieve this at scale, taxes, Specifically, how how direct indexing might help to optimize after-tax returns. And ESG, how advisors can help their investors and clients align their values and preferences to their investments in a more meaningful way, thanks to direct indexing. Finally, we'll take a look at a little about the technology that's brought direct indexing to the forefront in the broader base of investors. And without further ado, let's get on to the panel. And so joining us today, we have Cindy Galliano. She is the Head of Product for Morningstar Investment Management. We've got Pete Diedrich. He's the Head of Wealth for Morningstar Indexes. And Sheila Watemar, Global Head of Retail and Wealth ESG Strategy and Strategic Partnerships at Sustainalytics. So panel, welcome. Thanks for being here today.
3: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
2: Great. Right. Well, panel, we just introduced you. And as eager as we are to hear from you, uh, we did promise to keep this engaging. So we're actually going to start with a first polling question of the afternoon. And what we're gonna ask is, is how would you rate your current level of education around direct indexing? You can read the descriptors, but in general, your choices are extremely high, moderate, or low. And thanks in advance for participating, we're gonna review those results shortly. So now on to direct indexing. It's getting a lot of attention in the media and we with significant investment in the area by many across the industry. But now, most of us have seen the Cerulli study where the projected growth of direct indexing, it's over 12% annually in the five-year period from 2021 to 2026, outpacing both ETFs and mutual funds. And yet, it's what some might call a really crowded conversation with some ambiguity, ambiguity still in our collective understanding. So Cindy, I'm gonna go to you first here. Can you just kick us off? What exactly is direct indexing?
4: Yeah, sure. So essentially, in its most basic form, direct indexing is really building a portfolio of individual securities um, that's really meant to track a broad-based market exposure, usually represented by an index such as the S&P 500 or a Morningstar index. And in order to avoid having to buy each and every security of that index which could have more than say a thousand stocks in that index and optimizers actually use to replicate the index, but create a portfolio with fewer holdings, let's say a hundred versus a thousand, but it's still meant to track closely that index and owning the stocks directly versus a wrapper, such as a mutual fund or exchange traded fund, um, can lead to significant benefits, which I know we'll, we'll get into in just a moment. Um, but I, I would point out that direct indexing isn't really a new idea, even though it is a hot topic uh, lately.
3: Yeah, maybe, Cindy, I, I fully agree. I mean, you know, direct indexing or a version of it has been, um, you know, employed by the institutional markets for years where an asset owner, um, you know, goes to their asset manager and would like to employ strategies or and or use an index to directly gain exposures to the things that align with their investment policy. So I think it's really exciting to see that this type of strategy is now accessible for everyone, for the retail investor audience, and that this capability, um, you know, through direct investing or directly investing in stocks and personalization and even ESG can now be um, an avenue for both the institutional and retail audience.
5: And John, you have to forgive me because I'm going to interchangeably use the term direct indexing with personalized separately managed accounts we have to remember, as Sheila mentioned, managed accounts have been around for well over 20 years. Customized investment management strategies have been done in the institutional market for a very long time. They've also been done in the ultra high net worth family office space as well, where the investors had high enough minimums to own the underlying securities. The difference today is the multiple tailwinds, technology advances, ESG awareness, the rise of fractional shares, and then the ability to manage those taxes accordingly.
2: That, that, thanks, guys. That, that makes a lot of sense. Like, it's been around for a while, but it's getting a, a lot of attention now, and understandably so. But, you know, uh, I guess, Cindy, I'm going to come back to you real quick here, just with a, maybe a, just a reality check question. You know, as a financial advisor, why should I care about it? Uh, you know, there's a lot of trends in the industry that we've seen come and go. Is this one that will eventually subside? Or, you know, maybe most importantly, how does it truly benefit me and my clients?
4: Yeah, we believe that this will be persistent. Um, There's just a lot of benefits that uh, are pretty obvious today, but there'll be even more uh, down the road as the technology gets even better and better. But in general, the investors that you have as clients, they have been asking for this type of personalization or having the ability to customize your portfolios. Um, since dawn, right? And and these personalization needs can be anything from like diversifying concentrated stock positions um, to values-based types of ESG considerations where your client really wants to have more control Over where their money is going. And finally, the after tax returns is something that we'll be talking quite a bit about, too, in terms of there are some benefits there from a tax awareness, tax efficiency standpoint, where there are some shortcomings in, say, mutual funds. Um, But essentially, direct indexing allows advisors to get really granular about how they personalize those portfolios for their clients, but at scale, um, which was previously impractical just based on technology that was available way back.
2: Well, that's good insight, Cindy. Thanks. And I guess, Sheila, Pete, you know, anything else you'd add to why a financial advisor would want to capitalize on this emerging area and the that, that trend maybe of the personalization?
5: Sure, I'll jump in here. <clears throat> you know, the trend towards personalized investing is underway, and we at Morningstar... Very much believe it's here to stay. You know, as consumers, we can personalize everything from our coffee to our shoes to our furniture. We can even order a car online. I mean, it only makes sense to, you know, for us to be able to personalize our investments, or and for that trend to move in the same direction. It's just an evolution of the investor experience. You know, further, direct indexing is a high growth potential area. As you mentioned earlier, John, referencing this really this really report. You know, it's projected to grow at roughly 12.5%, again, outpacing ETFs and mutual funds. You know, what that translates to is roughly a $5 trillion business or market by roughly 2030. You know, some people even say that that's a conservative estimate. Studies show that there's up to, you know, 75% advisor turnover when the breadwinner of a household passes. You know, over the past year, a number of advisors I've spoken with have said to me, Pete, none of my clients have ever had an ESG or personalization request. You know, in turn, I ask, sure, but do you engage with the spouse or the kids? I mean, you may have their assets today, but will you in the future? You know, whether or not a client chooses to personalize their portfolio, direct indexing most definitely can be a bridge, you know, with to engage with or retain that next generation of clients.
2: Uh, It sounds really compelling, Pete, but I I guess, you know, if you were to target, then I guess I'll just throw out to the panel, but, you know, who is the right investor for direct indexing?
4: Yeah, I can take that. Um, Now, we're not, at least I'm not saying that direct indexing is right for all investors. Um, That said, historically, investors in a higher tax bracket who are focused on the long term, seeking broad market exposure, but want a more tax efficient way to invest for their, their taxable portfolios. And those tended to be the, the, the norm in terms of those that uh, were right up the alley for direct indexing. Um, but it's also for clients when they need to manage around specific constraints or risks, such as stock concentration risks, where your client inherited a significant share of company stock, and you need to make sure you diversify, diversify around that in terms of the portfolio that you provide to them. Where there's a situation of a business executive who isn't allowed to invest in certain industries or companies due to conflicts of interest uh, in terms of what their business entails. So these types of clients must be able to navigate around those uh, constraints or risks and direct indexing allows for that. Finally, as it relates to ESG or values-based uh, investing, direct indexing has provided a more, I think, thoughtful way, um, a more logical way to be able to incorporate those values or ESG considerations into the optimization process so that ultimately the investor client can see where their money is going and uh, what is done with, with, uh, in terms of the overall portfolio, what the impact is.
3: Let's just take a minute here to maybe expand a little bit on that values piece. You know, I think there um, when an investor is looking to personalize by investing into the areas that they value, um, you know, it. It entails a different utility. These are investors that are often looking for benefits that are beyond just risk management or driving for performance, but rather they're looking for benefits that are, um, you know, that, that uh, that drive ca- their capital into the areas that they relate to, that they feel, um, you know, an alignment with, with regards to values. Pete, you mentioned, you know, people feel close to the coffee they drink and the brands and shoes that they buy. Um, you know, similarly, people want to invest in areas that they feel very close to and believe that, you know, where their money is actually driving and and, and driving for positive impact mm-hmm. rather than just their own performance.
5: Yeah, I would add to that. I mean, I I think we got to go back to the process, right? And values assessment and personal preference, they are increasingly becoming more part of that financial planning or that engagement process. I mean, you think back a few decades ago, we didn't have a risk tolerance questionnaire. You know, and even well before that, a FICA score didn't exist. Now you don't even think twice about it. Um, These are just now part of a process. You know, and I think you'll see more and more products designed to kind of address those needs with personalization and values alignment. Um, Because, you know, when you own the securities and the strategy, you just have more flexibility to reflect those views in your portfolio.
2: Well, great. That's really, really helpful. Um, Maybe I'll stay with you on this. And, you know, again, just a bit of a reality check again here. But, you know, this is all sounding very positive. Um, but knowing that there's no real panacea solutions for everyone in every situation, and Cindy, you touched on this a little bit, but, um, you know, what, if any, asset classes or exposures lead to better or worse performance for direct indexing portfolios? Sure. So, you
5: know, international equities and small caps tend to pose problems. Sorry. Um, You know, internationals due to the ADRs for U.S. investors and then small caps typically because of the number of securities, you know, and the the liquidity requirements accordingly. You know, we on the index team at Morningstar have built uh, ADR exposures to kind of replicate that EMDM exposure for an investor's portfolio. And then simply also built an optimized or concentrated version of the small mid or SMID cap just to make implementation easier. Uh, Because sometimes it's just challenging to do, even if you have an optimization process.
2: Yeah, yeah. And so to that point, I guess, is there a magic number to this strategy or or, or what are the number of positions that are needed to replicate the index? Sure. Um,
5: you know, I'd say there really isn't a magic number, not one specific number. I mean, we tend to see firms using anywhere between 30 to 100 securities per strategy. Uh, you'll tend to find more securities being used for international beta or SMID and certain exposures. You know, it also depends with each firm. They might have a different, uh, I, I guess, comfort level around what their tracking error budget is. You know, if they've got their own optimization, a firm can typically take a large index with five hundred, you know, 4,000 securities and optimize themselves for the clients that they're serving and the optimization or the tracking error budgets that uh, that they're comfortable with.
2: And, and last question, maybe Pete, but you know, how does a personalization option? reflect the market trends of the investor demographic that you see in your work with indexes?
5: Sure. So, I mean, when you own the stocks that make up an index or any strategy, you know, simply put, you have flexibility. You know, and the beauty of personalization, it's just that, it's personal. Um, you think of stock ownership, as Cindy mentioned, stock ownership for executives, they don't want to over-concentrate their existing positions um, you know, you have mandatory blackout lists for lawyers, for consultants, depending on what your role is and the types of clients you service. And then you get to the E, the S or the G, um, you know, and then there's individuals that just, I mean, if every one of us has, uh, maybe a sustainability, uh, tilt to us, that might mean different things to different people. So, you know, and some individuals, they just might have, uh, preferences, uh, you know, against or for a specific security, that just aligns to a view for
2: whatever reason. It's just that it's personal. Thank you. Thanks for that, Pete. And, and Cindy, I'm going to come back to you. And maybe this is obvious, but, you know, how does this client personalization support the growth of an advisor's business?
4: Yeah. I mean, well, first I'll say that advisors have offered a lot of personalization in, in like since the beginning in terms of making sure that, Your clients and financial plans and the investments are truly tailored to their needs and goals. Now, as it relates to direct indexing, though, and offering that as a solution, I I believe it's really another option, uh, another tool in the toolbox of an advisor that could offer your client something that perhaps wasn't available to you before, and perhaps open the door to manage more of your client's assets, a greater percentage of their their money. Um, But the key is doing this at scale. Uh, I think direct indexing does uh, offer that through the personalization, the use of technology and the personalization aspect of it. The second thing I'd say is, which um, might seem obvious as well, but when you offer an experience, that enables your client to develop a stronger connection between their money and their values, that can be an incredible motivator for them to stick with your financial plan and really to stick with you because you've listened to them, you've provided an approach that uh, takes into account their perspective. And so this can set a very powerful narrative that sets you apart than say the standard portfolio update and uh, reporting that happens in a typical client meeting.
5: You know, I would add to it, Jennifer, um, it's a technology that helps level the playing field, you know, with, with advisors that might be competing as an example with larger firms that might have more resources. You know, I mean, you think about it, to customize that scale really helps an advisor create more value for their existing clients. Right, retain future clients, but also potentially land larger
2: clients in the future. Thank you for that. And look, it's really important that we we talk about these topics, right? Because what we're finding is that the education level around direct indexing is is actually really mixed among advisors in general. And according to our poll earlier, if we can put up those results, fifty percent of you on this call would consider yourselves to have a moderate level of knowledge, meaning you've heard some about it, but aren't really sure how to implement it into your practice. So panel, I'll just open this up. You know, what do you make of these results? And are these consistent with your experience and expectations? I think so.
4: Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Pete.
5: I was going to say, I mean, many clients that we talk to, it's interesting. They ask, you know, we, we hear so much about it, the growth of direct indexing, the prevalence, the, the, the notoriety. I still, you know, using a baseball analogy, I still think we're in you know, the top of the second inning
2: Thanks. That's, that's helpful. Um, so if you're out there with a moderate level, you're not alone. Um, many have not implemented it yet, but hopefully uh, our chat today can help with some of that. So uh, let's pivot the discussion. We've talked a lot about personalization. Um, you know, there's another area of interest that's on all of our minds this time of year. And when we hear a lot about when discussing direct indexing, that's taxes. So uh, Cindy, I'll come to you first. Um, you know, we all know that improving after-tax returns can lead to better performance for clients, but specifically... How does direct indexing allow an advisor to seek that tax alpha?
4: Yeah, so I feel like this topic of tax alpha can be a whole webinar in and out of itself, <laughs> um, but tax alpha is important. It's so important because many investors, uh, taxes can potentially be a larger drag on performance uh, more than fees or other costs. And so it's really important to, as a financial advisor, to be tax savvy from that standpoint. Mm-hmm. So direct indexing, though, has tax efficiency at its core. That's one of the fundamental value propositions of direct indexing. And it employs several techniques to improve that after-tax return. Um, Now, these tax strategies or tools aren't necessarily specific only to direct indexing, but I think direct indexing has accelerated the use of technology Um, and to be more automated and intelligent so that more taxable accounts and households of taxable accounts can be um, thought of and managed in a more tax efficient way. So these include tax loss harvesting without triggering wash sales. And so really the ability to harvest losses on individual stocks can reduce your tax liability. You can set the criteria around the tax loss harvesting, which tax loss to sell first, et cetera. And then the second area as it relates to tax alpha is really uh, tax efficient transitions. Um, So say you want to transition your existing account with your existing holdings into your new account over time. Uh, You really only want to sell what is necessary and you want to optimize uh, as to when to realize gains at the appropriate time. So, you can specify through your direct indexing solution or strategy, you can specify uh, certain capital gain limits to minimize, postpone, or even eliminate uh, the net taxes.
5: yeah, I would add Jonathan yeah, I mean to cindy's comments, you know aside from i mean think about it, aside from the recent volatility, we' have a bull market for the last ten plus years you know investors are capped in what they can contribute to their qualified counts, which means their taxable accounts have grown significantly over that, you know, 10 plus year period. Then you have periods of volatility that essentially create windows uh, to, you know, to rebalance a portfolio that may have had embedded gains and then transition that perhaps into more tax wear strategies. And this is especially true for people that are, are on more of a, you know, I would say an income oriented budget,
2: you know, for investors that are near or in retirement. Mm, really practical insights. Thank you. Um, So, so let's pivot again. Um, You know, uh, let's talk about investing with actually environmental, social, and governance concerns in mind. And while it may not be as obvious, you know, the recent events occurring in our world today have spurred an additional interest in ESG, and specifically the G. Um, um, but I guess before we dive in, we're going to have another poll question, and this time we'd like to know how have you engaged your clients about their ESG preferences? Um, Respond now, and and we'll get back to those in just a bit, but uh, Sheila, let's go to you. You know, we hear a lot in our industry about the investor demand for aligning a portfolio to an investor's ESG values, and if I'm playing skeptic here for for a moment. You know, the question is, uh, is there real demand? And if so, where have you specifically been seeing it implemented?
3: So the short answer is yes, absolutely. We are seeing a demand. Um, You know, again, we've been seeing this for years amongst institutional investors, um, especially amongst many of the faith-based pension funds who really do want to align their investment portfolios with their own values. But now people are just um, expressing or feeling a lot of these topics and issues um, in their everyday lives. Mm-hmm. Jonathan, as you mentioned, you know, we, we see it in current events. We're seeing climate change in action. We're just seeing a lot of the topics um, that fall within that ESG. and um, theme come to fruition. And so retail investors are absolutely expressing their want to invest in the things that they care about most or that they're feeling um, to align really with their values. So it is, however, you know, with all that said, it is, however, very important that an advisor does have that discussion with their clients to really identify how these values align with their investment goals. You know, what does sustainable investing really mean to them? To some, it could be a means to further manage risks, or to others, it could be a way to, again, as we mentioned before, drive capital or drive into the impact areas that they care most about.
2: Thank you, Sheila. And again, that sounds so attractive, right? To align our actual values to our actual investments and our nest eggs. Um, But may I ask then, you know, what are some specific examples of ESG risk Uh, What are the implications of keeping or excluding them from our portfolio?
3: Yeah, I mean, look, ESG risks are just like other risks. If not managed appropriately, they can have material risks to a company and to the portfolios that those companies sit in. So from that perspective, ESG factors can indeed be a risk management tool. Um, So we talk about values, but again, there are topics um, such as human capital, bribery and corruption, community relations that aren't always inherently part of the investment valuation process and therefore sometimes over. So it's important to understand if your portfolios or if your client's portfolios are still exposed to these risks or not. And um, and indeed, an advisor can then have that discussion with their client to talk about how to reduce those exposures. Um, You know, direct indexing is a great mechanism to be able to really showcase that.
2: Uh, I'm going to stay there with you for a moment, Sheila, because I think you just referenced something. We haven't gotten to our poll results just yet, but, you know, if they're not having those discussions, where does someone get started in engaging their clients about ESG investing if they haven't already?
3: Well, Morningstar has a number of resources that facilitates this. So at a very high level, I think the steps um, to use our resources are to, one, educate yourself about ESG investing and all the facets under that, the umbrella term it's become Um, Two, look at your client's portfolios and see if they're exposed to any of these ESG risks or potential negative or positive impact areas. And then three, use that information to engage with your client and speak to them about their preferences. Understand how this aligns with their investment objectives and what they feel closest to. And then finally, four, execute on those preferences through tools like direct indexing. You know, I think it's, extremely important to also continue to report out to your client and continue to understand those personal wants. Um, You know, that's why this, uh, um, you know, this really does serve as a great um, tool to continuously engage with clients to further and continuously align with those preferences and um, that they're thinking most about.
2: Yeah, I agree. It's just got to be part of the process. Yeah, Great. Thanks for that. And and let's go to the poll results here. We just touched on it, but uh, okay, it looks like 43% of advisors out on this call are not yet having these conversations with their clients. And again, I'll throw it to the panel. Is this in your day-to-day interactions with advisors and uh, amongst the industry? Is this consistent?
3: I would say so. Um, you know, I think that um, Often what I hear from advisors is they're just not sure where to start and then how to execute. And so, you know, again, I I go back to some of the steps I mentioned. I think, um, you know, hopefully, you know, there are additional resources now. And we're certainly working um, on this at Morningstar to provide additional resources to allow for advisors to start that journey.
2: Great. Fantastic, Sheila. Thank you. Okay, uh, audience, one last poll question for the day. Last last heavy lift we're going to ask of you, and then we'll go to an, our final topic before we go into our live Q&A. This time, we'd like to know, as you look at this list of features and benefits, which of these would you deem most important to you as an, as an advisor? Uh, Again, please vote now and we'll be sure to come back and revisit those uh, results shortly. Uh, Okay, Cindy, one area we have yet, not yet really addressed directly, but rather indirectly throughout our conversation is the critical role of technology. Why does technology matter in a direct indexing product?
4: Yeah, I like to think of technology as that enabler that brings all this functionality that we've been talking about together in a very elegant, user-friendly manner. And the key is at scale. So this could mean anything from the role of the optimizer to replicate that index to the gathering of your client's values and ESG preferences and considerations and having a logical approach to put that into the optimizer as inputs to automation of the rebalancing and the tax management rules, account management workflows. Um, So a lot of different workflows that can be uh, digitized in many ways and automated. And then finally, the digital experience that can help improve the interaction between the advisor and the investor, as well as the investor and their money. So having timely information and a visually dynamic narrative that uh, centers around their portfolio and how they wanted to invest uh, their, their money. That can be so much more impactful than say a PDF report.
2: Yeah. And and Cindy, so some of us may have a love hate relationship with technology, right? We, (laughs) We love it when it works for us, hate it when it works against us, but you know, what work, I guess, if any is taken off of an advisor's plate with a tech forward direct indexing approach and what additional work perhaps is required from an advisor's perspective.
4: Yeah, and I think technology should be your friend. Um, You know, I do think there's been a lot of advancements in the tech stack uh, supporting advisors and um, helping them in so many ways. But that said, a modern direct indexing approach should be able to offer seamless connections, seamless connections to other parts of that advisor's workflow, such as proposal generation, risk profiling, client reporting, Now, you can try to build this all on your own and put the pieces of those components together, but I think you need to bring uh, together um, a sophisticated optimizer methodology, the index selection, the tax lot data information that you need, as I mentioned before, and once again, the ESG data. If you need to bring all that together yourself, that can be quite daunting. Um, So it's really important that the direct indexing solution actually makes your life easier rather than more complicated.
5: Yeah, I mean, I would add, I mean, let I me mean, think about trading, taxes, rebalancing preferences, and the reporting of all of that in a technology solution. Advisors, many advisors, I mean, per the polls, are going to have to maybe uh, readjust or relearn some engagement techniques, as well as how to articulate, you know, these new value-added uh, services to their respective clients or future clients.
3: I'll take it back to Cindy, something you mentioned earlier, you know, being able to connect with your client on these topics, really hold their hand through these very complex topics such as ESG, their preferences, tax optimization, the technology that it takes. I think it really does allow for an advisor to create a more connectiveness to their client and lead to stickier and and stronger relationships with them.
2: Great, that makes a lot of sense and uh, again thank you for for addressing that It does play such a critical role in underpinning all of this uh delivery and, and the trend that 's uh of of direct indexing um, so let 's go let's we've we've talked enough let 's go to the audience uh, we 're going to move into the audience questions and I understand we 've received a number of questions already so thanks everyone for your engagement uh, as a reminder, please use the q and a function at the bottom of your screen if you 've thought of any now um, and so let 's go to the first question and the question is Uh, Okay, looks like a pretty general one, um, but might be on the minds of many. Why would someone not use a direct indexing strategy?
4: Yeah, so I'll take a stab at this one. Just as I mentioned before, direct indexing isn't necessarily the panacea of solutions for everybody. Um, If you're not Uh, really in a higher tax bracket um, or that isn't necessarily the main driver of that particular pool of investments really may not be something that you may not uh, need. Um, A mutual fund or an exchange-traded fund in terms of a diversified uh, portfolio, in terms of your first stepping stone, uh, in terms of your investments, that might be more appropriate. So that's just one example.
2: Great. Thanks, Cindy. Um, Okay. Questions are coming in. Thanks, everybody. Uh, Next question. Uh, (laughs) And uh, extra credit for honesty of the author of this one. Uh, Once again, this may be on the minds of many. Uh, This advisor says, theoretically, it seems I could achieve the same outcomes by duplicating an ETF. Why wouldn't I go with a do-it-yourself option?
3: Take this one. Take
2: that. (laughs) Sure. Sure. Thanks,
5: Pete. <laughs> I mean, first off, replicating or duplicating um, a registered vehicle such as a mutual fund or ETF uh, is a misappropriation of intellectual property. So you're not supposed to do it. Um, and I would also say direct indexing is most definitely not a Bob Vila, do-it-yourself type of project. I mean, imagine the risk involved in a many different fronts. So the risk involved on a discretionary portfolio, you miss timing on corporate actions, you miss inputs or on a reconstitution or a rebalance Uh, You know, portfolio reporting actually, you know, oftentimes is very delayed um, to to a month and and sometimes quarterly. (laughs) And it's also important to note, ESG is not static, right? It's a very dynamic element. I mean, recall, if you go back in time, Volkswagen, uh, Volkswagen's emissions scandal. I mean, at a point in time, they were scoring very well until they weren't, Right. And I would also add in, I mean, you think about in-house trading. You add that to the equation. Just imagine the you know, errors in emissions insurance
2: when this, if this goes sideways with the do-it-yourself project. Yeah, thank you. And, and uh, practical again. Um, okay. We've got a number of questions coming in, but before we get to those, I would like to go to our final results of, uh, of that last poll. And if we could bring that up, it appears that 53% of the advisors on this call Dean, the most important factor for them as an advisor is providing a personalized client experience. Panelists, does this surprise you in any any way, or is this kind of what you you were thinking as well? I think it's the line. It makes sense.
4: Yeah, yeah. Um, No surprises. Yeah, yeah. I think it's just a matter of uh, yeah finding the right solution for your clients. Uh, Yeah.
2: So okay. Great. I think we've got time for two more questions here. Um, here's one: uh, What's the difference between direct indexing and other separately managed accounts? Is this same? Is this the same as custom indexing? And are these terms interchangeable? Can someone take that one? Go ahead. Yeah, Cindy. I can.
4: Okay, yeah. So direct indexing is more related to. Optimizing or essentially replicating some type of reference portfolio. Uh, In the traditional sense, a separately managed account or an SMA uh, as it is composed of individual stocks as well. um, Those could be actively managed or rules-based as well. um, But really fundamentally um, has been historically focused on uh, outperforming uh, a benchmark as as well. So the outperformance is also key, the fundamental nature or the portfolio construction approach to be more uh, qualitative um, is also uh, something that causes differences in terms of SMAs. But once again, direct indexing isn't necessarily looking to outperform. It's looking to replicate or seek that market exposure that the investor wants, but then being able to uh, have some rules around how to incorporate other customization needs or personaliz- personalization needs in a rules-based or a very more efficient manner.
3: Yeah, and I think, Cindy, um, you also talked about scale earlier on. And I think the technology piece of this also really does allow for that scalability.
2: Great. Thanks for that that clarification. Uh, Okay, last question. Uh, Will customization be available for factors such as a country? And how do you see events like the war in Russia impacting what investors really want? Uh, Panel, your thoughts on this?
4: I'll I'll answer the first part of that as it relates to customizations in general. So yeah, so typically, your direct indexing solution would involve the ability to customize on a variety of um, Lenses. One, we talked about the ESG. Two, we talked about the tax considerations. The third it is in terms of, uh, say, restrictions or um, tilts that you would want to make to your portfolio, whether it's an industry or a sector or a specific stock. Um, those are uh, the direct indexing offers the ability to do that. Um, as it relates to more nuance, such as country, it does, that is a tricky area in terms of. You know, really determining, is this uh, for the sake of a tactical move or market timing uh, situation? Those are the things that you want to be careful of in terms of how much, uh, I guess, not necessarily flexibility, but you want to make sure you are in tune with the overall mandate and strategy that your client has set forth and not try to market time. But I think, Pete, uh, the index team had a really great example as it relates to uh, the events like the the war in Russia
5: Sure. So, I mean, to your first question, and then, you know, to add on what Cindy mentioned, uh, through direct indexing, you can express a view if it's over, under concentration, you know, by a sector, by a country, et cetera. But at a macro level, when you have, as an example, uh, the recent events between uh, Russia and the Ukraine, you know, what we do at a a macro level on the index team at Morningstar is through our investment committee or our index committee, um, you know, it was uh, March 4th, What we ended up doing is moving Russia, as an example, from emerging market status to unclassified, which results in, you know, basically removal of all the Russian securities across the
2: indexes. And that's fairly common practice across the board. Great. That's fantastic. Great. Well, listen, panel, we're going to have to, we're going to wrap there, but not, not just quite yet because, you know, like if, if we've drifted in and out of our attention span during this 40 minutes, it's been a fantastic <laughs> conversation, but I'm going to throw it back to each of you just for what's the 10 second tech takeaway on this? Uh, 10 seconds. What should they not forget? Cindy, we'll start with you.
4: Okay, uh, so I believe that direct indexing exemplifies the marriage of investing in technology, which really allows a broader group of investors to enjoy access to personalization. And so that said, I mentioned before, technology should be your friend, not your foe, and it should enable you to scale your practice. Sheila, how about you? Sheila,
3: do you want to go next? Yeah, Sure. Um, I'd say my takeaway is that sustainability sits very well alongside personalization and understanding the different exposures to sustainability topics offers advisors an opportunity to engage with their clients on some of the things that their clients may care about the most and want to align within their investment objectives.
5: I'll go last. So I think engaging with your clients you know, on their personal preferences, while it may not have been a catalyst to get their business or get your own business up to this point, I think the data suggests that it's worth incorporating your practice for the future. And direct indexing
2: most definitely is at the center of that conversation. That's that great takeaways. All right, well, listen, thank you everyone for joining us today. We really appreciate you taking the time to engage with us on this important industry topic. You can also visit our website at MP. Dot morningstar.com to learn more about direct indexing. Again, thanks, everybody. Have a great day.
1: And with that, we'll wrap up another episode of Simple But Not Easy. Once again, we're glad you took the time to listen. You'll find us on your favorite podcast platform of your choice, just as you'll find more investment analysis and thought leadership at mp.morningstar.com. Thank you for your time, and we'll see you next time.
0: This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered investment advice. Opinions expressed are as of the date of publication. Such opinions are subject to change. No Morningstar entity, including Morningstar Investment Management and Morningstar Research Services, shall be responsible for any trading decisions, damages, or other losses resulting from or related to the content presented. Morningstar makes no representation as of the completeness or accuracy of the information presented. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. All investments are subject to investment risk, including possible loss of principal. Individuals should seriously consider if an investment is suitable for them by referencing their own financial position, investment objectives, and risk profile before making any investment decision.